0: But Christ radically transformed my life just before I turned 18. I was raised in the inner city of Detroit. Where I grew up, I was a minority. And I was living a life of crime and drugs, stealing cars, burning down buildings, fighting other gangs. And Christ radically transformed me by his Holy Spirit and made me a new creature. So these little cards are on the back table. I got this website Called How Jesus Changed My Life.com. Now you thought that would already be gone, right? Somebody would have had that one But nope, $2.99 I got that URL And so my testimony is on there If you would like to read it It's about 23 pages long And also what Christ did in my mom's life Because she was the one who brought Christ and Christianity to our home And then we have little cards also Which we give to magistrates and uh, has the doctrine on the back very simply, and then we have stickers. Feel free to take any of that stuff. If we could, let's open up in our Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 22 and stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read verses 27 through 31. Ezekiel 22, 27 through 31. The scripture reads, Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves, ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God when the Lord hath not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads. Saith the Lord God. May God bless the reading of His Word. The title of my sermon this morning is "A Needed Doctrine in This Dire Hour." Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we give thanks and praise to you for this time that we have in Your Word, and to learn of this doctrine, this doctrine of the lesser magistrates. I ask and pray that you help me to set forth that which you have given me to declare. And Lord, I pray pray most of all that your Holy Spirit would be working in the hearts and minds of the hearers, that you would build a fire within each one of faithfulness to you and a desire to see your law and word applied to every area of their life and to every area of life. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the course of human history, The abuse of authority by men through the arm of the state is not an uncommon occurrence. From time to time in the history of men, tyranny reaches a point where it demands a response. And we live in such a time in our day. Good men, who recognize the threat, want to be assured, however, that their response to tyranny is proper. Want to be assured, that it is legitimate, that it's sound and just, and that it's rooted in scripture. I want to talk to you this morning about the doctrine of the lesser magistrates. The doctrine addresses the duty of lower magistrates in the face of tyranny, of lawlessness and evil, and of impugning of God's law and word. And tyranny is present in Northern Ireland and throughout Western civilization. It has been for decades and it is growing. Westminster has harmed the people of Northern Ireland and impugned the law and word of God openly. Review their laws, policies, bureaucracies, and court rulings, and you will see they have caused much harm to the institutions and traditions of the people. They have attacked and abridged liberty, and they are now in the process of plundering the, mis- plundering the people of Northern Ireland. They are steeped in governmental mischief. They have foisted endless regulations. They have turned the rule of law on its head. They have assailed the Christian institutions and traditions of the people and are clearly at war with Christ. The cold blooded murder of the preborn, the imposition of homosexual marriage, no fault divorce, the decriminalization of adultery, the phalanx of laws created by the state to invade our familial affairs. Keep the people disarmed, seize their property, and harass their persons all point to the growing tyranny here in Northern Ireland. In Northern Ireland, and all of Western civilization is languishing under the blithe compliance of the lesser magistrates. The duty of the lesser government authorities, when the superior government authorities abuse their power and act lawlessly, is to defy them and simply say no but we live in the midst of magistrates who blindly go along to get along. The doctrine of the lesser magistrate is simply that when the higher-ranking civil authority makes unjust or immoral law, policy, or court opinion, the God-given right and duty of the lesser civil authorities is not to obey, and if necessary, to actively resist them. I often use a quote from a higher superior civil authority, Emperor Trajan, to succinct the doctrine. Trajan was giving a sword to one of his subordinates, and he said, use this sword against my enemies if I give righteous commands. But if I give unrighteous commands, use it against me. And that's the doctrine of the lesser magistrates in a nutshell. Understand When the superior civil authorities behave lawlessly, the duty of the lesser authorities is not blithe compliance, rather it's what we call interposition. To stand in interposition between the tyrant superior civil authority and the people they represent in their jurisdiction. We call it a doctrine because it was a doctrine first formalized by Christian men in 1550 in Magdeburg, Germany. And you can read what those churchmen wrote in the Magdeburg Confession. We call them magistrates simply because magistrate is an old English term, which means all those who possess public authority, whether by election or appointment. Now, the doctrine of the lesser magistrate is rooted in the historic Christian doctrine of interposition. The historic Christian doctrine of interposition simply states that you stand in interposition between the oppressor and his intended victim. You can do that physically or verbally or both. And scripture is full of examples of interposition. Remember the Hebrew midwives told by Pharaoh to kill the male Hebrew children? They interposed for those babies and did not allow them to be killed, and God blessed them for it. Remember the story of Saul's dopey edict? His son Jonathan starts a battle with the Philistines. Saul joins in, makes his dopey decree that no one can eat anything till the battle's over. Jonathan doesn't hear about it, eats a little honey. After the battle's over, Saul's going to kill his own son, his own boy. But it said, all of Israel rose up and said, not one hair shall be touched on the head of him who brought Israel such a great victory today. The people themselves interposed on behalf of Jonathan. When it comes to the interposition of the lesser magistrate, he interposes for the people as a whole, placing himself between the unjust laws and decrees of the higher authority and the people within his jurisdiction. Daniel did this. When Daniel refused to obey the immoral decree of King Darius not to pray to the Lord for 30 days, only to himself, Daniel acted as an individual follower of the Lord, but also in his capacity as a lesser magistrate, in his defiance of King Darius. Remember, Daniel was one of three governors directly under Darius— Daniel took an open stand of defiance of this unjust and moral law. And the scripture says that, quote, When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in the chamber towards Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime, unquote. Notice that he knew of the unjust law. Notice his windows were open so all could see his noncompliance with the law. Notice he knelt down on his knees, so no one could mistake he was not obeying the law. And notice he did it three times in one day to sure he would be seen and caught. And notice he did not change his custom to pray to the Lord as he had always done a four times. For his act of interposition, Daniel was then thrown into the lion's den, you may recall that, willing to jeopardize his own life on behalf of the people as a whole and to stand in defense of God's law and righteousness. Fortunately, for Daniel, he lived to tell the story, as the rest is well-known history. The lower magistrates act as a buffer between the tyrant' superior authority and the people when the superior authority is behaving lawlessly. In Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 27 through 31, our opening text, there was evil in the land in Judea. The Lord was looking for a man to stand in the gap to stop the evil that was in the land, but things were so bad in in Judea. Verse 27 makes it clear things were bad in the civil realm. It says her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls to get dishonest gain. Verse 28 makes it clear things were also bad in the religious realm. It says, and her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, thus saith the Lord when the Lord has not spoken. Verse 26, if you look there, also speaks to the religious leaders of the day. It says, Her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. And things were also even bad among the people. Look at verse 29. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy, yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And verse 30 declares, the Lord was looking for someone to stand in the gap against all this evil in the land. He says, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap between me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore, have I poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. Because there was no man to stand in the gap, to stand in interposition, God brought his righteous judgment upon the land. The princes mentioned in verse 27, they were the lesser magistrates of that day, and they were not doing their duty. Understand how important the duty of the lesser magistrate is. Their interposition against the tyrant, lawless, superior civil authority can actually abate the just judgment of God when there's evil in the land. And we as people must demand it of them. And we must assure them that we will stand with them if they do interpose. Understand God is the ultimate authority. The Bible says plainly, The Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. Daniel 4.17 He gave his law at Sinai. The very first decree is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Exodus 20, verse 3 He created us, and thus knows best how we are to be governed. God is the ultimate lawgiver, according to James 4.12, and the ruler, according to 1 Timothy 6.15. He has established four governments. They are self-government, family government, church government, and civil government. Each has its own role, function, and limits. If one invades the jurisdiction of the other, chaos ensues in society. Each of these governments has its own positions of authority. Self-government's authority, of course, is the individual. In family government, the man is the head of the home. His wife acts as his co-regent, and both have authority over their children and property. In church government, there are the offices of elder, deacon, and pastor. And in civil government, you have everything from the policeman all the way up to the president or the premier or parliament. The authority an individual possesses in any one of these four realms of government is what we call delegated authority. In other words, the authority that they possess is given to them of God, therefore they have a duty to govern according to his rule. Hence, civil government's power is not unlimited, nor is its rule to be autonomous. Men need to understand that the state is not God. They do not get to rule by mere fiat. They do not get to just make up law as they go. The authority civil government possesses is delegated authority from God. Romans 13, the first verse, declares in part, quote, there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God, Hence, the authority that the state possesses is delegated from God, and as such, they have a duty to govern in conformity with his rule. They are not to make law which contradicts his law, or exceeds the limits of their authority. Romans 13 plainly declares the civil authorities to be the servants or ministers of God. In verse 4, they are plainly called, quote, the minister of God, unquote. It is noteworthy that Paul uses the Greek word diakonos there in verse 4, which means a common servant or minister, yet in verse 6, As he continues to speak of the civil magistrates as, quote-unquote, God's ministers, Paul uses the Greek word there, liturgoi, which also means servant or minister, but in the Roman world was plainly a religious term used to speak of work done to promote the social order and service of the divine state. Remember, the emperors thought they were God. Paul is making clear here that the civil magistrate is the servant or minister not of the divine state, but of the divine creator, God himself, and therefore they have a duty to govern according to his rule. They are, as it says in verse 3, to punish those who do evil and reward those who do good. They are not to make law or policy which contradicts his moral law or his word, And if the higher authority makes unjust or immoral law, the lesser authorities have a duty not to sustain his rebellion against God by obeying the unjust law. Rather, they have the duty to use their authority to resist his unjust or immoral decrees and thus remind the higher authority that their authority has limits. It's a goodness to the tyrant to understand his authority has limits, and it's good for society to understand that their authority has limits. When they impugn the law and word of God, they are to be resisted. John of Salisbury, in his monumental work, Polycraticus, written in 1159 AD, taught that the state's authority was delegated authority. He wrote this, listen to me now, quote, all power or authority is from the Lord God. The power which the prince has is therefore from God for the power of god is never lost nor severed from him but he merely exercises it through a subordinate hand. Unquote. The state's authority is not autonomous nor unlimited because it is delegated to them of god. Citizens are not bound to give unlimited obedience to the civil government. They are not. If you go to our website defytyrants.com, we have their an appendix in my book called Romans 13, on Romans 13. You can read it there without even getting the book, and you can share it on social media with family, friends, fellow Christians, pastors, because the idea that we are always to obey the civil authorities is not found in the word of God. And that's another sermon. So citizens are not bound to give unlimited obedience to the civil government, nor are lower magistrates to give unlimited obedience to the higher authorities. In his writing, Salisbury states plainly that the king is a king precisely because he rules in the fear of the Lord and according to his law. When the king makes law contrary to God's law, he becomes, Salisbury says, a tyrant. What is tyranny? Salisbury wrote, quote, For tyranny is abuse of power entrusted by God to man. Unquote. And what did Salisbury say should be the response of lower magistrates when the higher authority makes unjust or immoral laws, laws contrary to the law of God or which exceed the limits of their authority? He said this. Quote, Loyal shoulders should sustain the power of the ruler so long as it is exercised in subjection to God and follows his ordinances. But if it resists and opposes the divine commandments and wishes to make me share in its war against God, then with unrestrained voice I answer back that God must be preferred before any man on earth. The lower magistrate is to stand in inner position. He is to stand in defiance to stop the evil and remind the higher authority that their authority has limits. You must understand, for nearly 1,500 years, Western civilization viewed the law of God as the objective standard by which the laws of men and the governments of men were judged. All men and all governments of men were accountable to the law of God. This was Western man's view for well over 1,500 years. It was the object of standard to determine whether law was just or unjust, good or bad. If law was made contradicting God's law, it was repudiated as no law at all. It was to be resisted, not blithely obeyed. William Blackstone, who lived from 1723 to 1780, was a British jurist who wrote a four-volume work entitled Commentaries on the Laws of England, 1766. Blackstone referred to God's law as, quote, those superior laws, unquote, and stated that, quote, upon these two foundations, the law of nature and the law of revelation, talking about God's written law, depend all human laws. That is to say, no human laws should be suffered to contradict these, unquote. And we know he was speaking of the law of God as found in Holy Scripture because he went on to write this, quote, It, the law of God, is binding over all the globe, in all countries, and at all times. No human laws are of any validity if contrary to this, and such of them as are valid derive all their force and all their authority immediately or immediately from this original. The doctrines thus delivered we call the revealed or divine law, and they are found only in the holy scriptures. Western man believed this. It didn't matter if you read Alfred the Great in the 9th century, John of Salisbury in the 12th century, or William Blackstone here in the 18th century. They all pointed to the moral law of God as the object of standard by which the laws of men were judged. If law made by the governments of men were contrary to the law of God, they were considered no law at all and were to be resisted. This did not mean that things were perfect because anything that man's involved in is never perfect. But what it did mean was that we had this standard to which men could point and call men to repentance and to repair and to reform when the governments of men were acting lawlessly. That's how important the law of God is to nations. Now that Northern Ireland and all of Western civilization has thrown God's law under the bus and the object of standard has been removed, we now live in a status tell. The state is free to make up law from mere whim, out of thin air. Good is now evil, and evil is now good. And have you noticed? You live in an insane asylum now. It is as if the governments of the West and Northern Ireland Go to the word of God and see what he has to say and then do exactly the opposite. And that should grieve our hearts. And not only society, but most all of Christianity in the West has thrown God's law under the bus. The churchmen of Northern Ireland and throughout the West have failed to be faithful to Christ. Whores are the most common sort to abide the pulpits these days It was the preaching of the pulpits in the past that taught what God's word had to say about civil government and the duty of magistrates. The churchmen of Northern Ireland and of all Western civilization need to repent of their idolatrous views of the state. True Christianity always produces liberty. Even the Scottish philosopher David Hume, a bitter enemy of Christianity, had to concede this fact. Hume wrote, quote, the precious sparks of liberty were kindled and preserved by the Puritans in England, and that to this sect, whose principles appear so frivolous and whose habits so ridiculous, the English owe the whole freedom of their constitution. And understand it is precisely because God's law has been spurned by society and the church that you are watching Western civilization crumble before your eyes. This is the linchpin of the doctrine. I have many libertarian friends who love my book on the doctrine of lesser magistrate, but they hate my chapter on God's law being the object of standard. They hate it, and I always respond to them the same way. I say to them, well, if God's law isn't the object of standard, then who or what is? You? Me? The Supreme Court, Parliament, the church pulpits were the historical means whereby the people were instructed from a theological foundation in the purpose, functions, and limitations of the state. When a citizen's review of the state is theologically driven, the state can no longer get away with doing whatever just tickles its fancy. This is because an informed citizenry, one which recognizes divine law is vigilant and will not tolerate abuse or tyranny. Our theology is what gives us the strength to stand in the teeth of the tyrants. It's what gives us the grit to do right by Christ in the face of evil. And understand, evil must be confronted. You cannot appease tyrants. You must defeat them. If you try to accommodate them, you're just helping them have the convenience of building the next plank of their tyranny. You cannot appease them. You must defeat them, and you must call them to repentance. If citizenry does not know the purpose and limitations of the state, then the civil government can misuse its power because the citizenry is unable to measure when something improper is occurring. For there to be any indignation towards acts of tyranny by the state, one must be able to recognize that tyranny is taking place. And the law of God shows us that tyranny is taking place. And because of the silence of the pulpits, the people are ignorant. So, what does this interposition of the lesser magistrates look like in our day? Well, we had a good taste of it during the pandemic. In America, where I'm from, we have 3,100 and some county governments. And we saw about 500 acts of interposition by county government that we were able to document where they stood in interposition against either the federal government or their state government. Understand how important it is also for you to stand as an individual when evil's in the land. I never wore a mask. I didn't fly for 27 months because I didn't want to end up in federal prison because I wouldn't abide that, wearing of a mask. I was only thrown out of four places all in all. Everywhere you go, you didn't. everyone else had a mask. You were the only one who didn't have it. The last store I was thrown out of was called Best Buy. It's an electronics store in our country. I walked in with my 15-year-old daughter and there were two young men there the mask guards, and they said, sir, you have to have a mask in order to shop here. And I looked at him, and I said, well, we don't wear masks. And he said, oh, then we have just the thing for you. And he points down to this card table, and I look at it, and here's a table full of face shields. And I looked at that, and I looked at the young man, and I said, if you think I'm going to walk around your store with that on my face... Like Jojo the circus monkey? You're living in a fantasy land. And the look on his face was priceless. You could tell he never saw that before. Never heard that before. We ended up in a five-minute discussion, which ended with me informing him once again to tell his manager that Matt Chuela would never spend another dime at Best Buy. Even after you get rid of your dopey mask mandate. I won't be back. You have to understand tyranny is built plank by plank. Look at the Jews of old. The very first law that was made regarding them was you could not sit on a public park bench. And the Jews thought, well, it's just a park bench. You know, it's just a mask. And they went along with it. Then they couldn't go to theater. And then on down the road. So finally they ended up at the train station with the boxcars. You have to understand, tyranny is built plank by plank, and that's why you must stop it immediately. When people told me, Matt, it's just a mask, I responded and said, No, it's evil. It's part of a grand plan of evil. And you must take a stand. Let me give you one example of the interposition of the lesser magistrates in our country Madison County, Illinois. In May of 2020, our governors were all acting like little emperors and popes, making decrees every other day, very draconian. And in May of 2020, the governor of Illinois, his name's Pritzker, and he is a tyrant dog, declared his latest decree, and it was this, no businessman anywhere in the state can open their business now until I say you can open your business. And now if you open your business before I say you can open your business, you'll be arrested and charged with a crime. And the very next day, in a state with 102 counties, only one county gathered their county board together, and they put out their own decree. And their decree declared that our businessmen are free to reopen now, And they said they would use all their power and all their authority to protect their businessmen. And then they cautioned the governor and the state not to interfere with their businessmen. Well, Governor Pritzker responded in good tyrant fashion. He held a press conference the next day. And he threatened all their federal money and all their state money. He had a whole list of bad things he was going to do to them in Madison County if they didn't get with the program. He did that for the next three days in a row. But the men at Madison County did not flinch. They stood resolute. And then, seven days after Pritzker had given that decree, the Illinois State Police put out a press release saying, we will not arrest any businessman anywhere in the state who opens their business before Governor Pritzker says they can. They had decided to stand with the men at Madison County. And the next day after that, Governor Pritzker rescinded his order. That's how the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate works. Understand if it had not been for the interposition of that one county, all of the state would have remained under that draconian decree. Understand also that the man who heads up that county is a Christian brother, and he had read my book on the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates two years earlier, had taught it to the county board. And they were a burr in Pritzker's tyrant saddle, all along the way, staying in opposition to the lawless acts and evil he was doing. Understand this, the tyrant's superior authority always counts on the blithe compliance of the lesser authorities in order to get their evil down into the fabric of society. It's when they don't have that blithe compliance they know they have a problem on their hand. Understand how important it is for men to stand against tyranny, both as individuals, but also to rally with others around their lesser magistrates to stand in defiance of the evil. That's massively important. When you stand in interposition against the evil, it causes the tyrant superior authority to do one of two things. Either they have to remove the evil that they just decreed, like Pritzker did, there in Illinois, Or they have to come out of their lair and show their fangs and attack those who are standing against the evil. And then men more readily see the evil for what it is. But if you don't stand against the evil, then the tyrant superior authority has the convenience of building the next plank of their tyranny. And that's exactly what the magistrates in the West have been doing for decades. And it must stop. Listen to me now. If you give unlimited power to any one human being or to any one human institution, he or they will corrupt themselves. If you give unlimited power to any one human being or to any one human institution, he or they will corrupt themselves. If you doubt this, look at the King of England. Remember King Henry VIII? He believed the king was law. And what of Charles I? He too believed the king is law. From 1629 to 1640, he reigned as absolute monarch. Known as the personal rule or the 11 years tyranny, he ruled as an autocratic absolute monarch without recourse to parliament, unchecked, unlimited power, fomenting his tyranny on men. Several lesser magistrates, MPs, stood in interposition of his tyranny, One man in particular was Sir John Elliot, who was ordered to prison for participating in holding the Speaker down in his chair in 1629 so the Speaker could not rise, and he was in cahoots with the King, and dismissed Parliament. They physically held him in the chair while four laws were passed. King Charles demanded an oath of submission from this lesser magistrate. John Eliot refused, and Charles had him put in the worst of conditions there in the tower. He spent nearly the last three years of his life there in prison till he died of tuberculosis. That's the inner... They hazard their lives when they stand against him, the... and that's why you must rally with them. And you must assure them that you will stand with them. Four square with your person, with your property, with your prayers, both publicly and privately. Suetonius said that when the lesser authority resists the superior authority, he grabs the wolf by the ears. In other words, he's put himself in a particular place of danger. And the role of the people is to demand of their lesser authorities to stop the evil and to assure them they will stand foursquare with them if they do their duty in their position. Understand, when you confront tyranny, there will be a conflict and some men will suffer. Right now in my country, we have an evil government. They are wicked and they have been wicked for decades. Right now, just two and a half weeks ago, a man was arrested from my neighborhood for being part of the event of January 6, 2021, facing 14 years in prison. A friend of mine just was put in federal prison, wife, four small children, this past week, October 4th. Sentenced to a year in federal prison, a year at probation, thousands of dollars to the federal government. He walked into the Capitol that day, dressed up as a Continental soldier. They have him on video the whole time. Never touched anything, never did anything, and walked out. The regime are the insurrectionists. They then accuse the good people of being the insurrectionists. And men are suffering. They're sitting in prison. Right now we have 23 Christians who are looking up to 30, at up to 32 years in federal prison for peacefully, prayerfully interposing at the door of an abortion clinic. 32 years in federal prison all because the Department of Justice wants their pound of flesh because of what happened with the Dobbs ruling. But realize this, because of John Eliot's interposition and suffering, that is what pushed Cromwell and others to act. And Cromwell and Parliament were able to end the divine right of kings, they were able to end the king is law, and replace it with the law is king. And now Westminster thinks they are law. They have spurned the law of God with their murder of the preborn and their filth of homosex. And now, men of Northern Ireland, you must remind Westminster that the law is king, not them. You must rally to your lesser magistrates and demand their interposition. And you must assure them that if they do right by Christ and interpose, that you will stand with them, foursquare, square, person property, prayers, publicly and privately. What should the judge do when a woman praying against abortion is arrested? The judge should find her not guilty. That's his duty as a lesser magistrate to rein in the evil and tyranny of the superior civil authority. What must the school officials and personnel do regarding RSE and the push of homosex? They should say no and not allow it to continue. Last year I spoke in five counties in Michigan. Three of them, uh, they were all on fire, all five of them. Three of them removed all their county tyrants and replaced them with good people. And now they're taking acts of interposition against the evil of their state government, and Michigan state government is incredibly evil. Very wicked. They believe that you can murder the preborn from the moment of conception to the minute before they're born. If your child's 13 years of age or older and wants to change their sex and ruin their bodies, you as a parent have no say and you could be criminalized if you try to intervene. And they put into place all of the tools they use to steal elections. Michigan is evil. One of the five counties where I spoke, of the three that took over county government is Ottawa County, and they, as their very first act as a civil body, was to abolish and remove the office of DEI. That's diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is nothing but a pipeline for racism and homosex. They completely abolished it, so no longer is that corrupting influence coming through county government upon the people, and they saved the the people, the taxpayers, $260,000 a year. This is the inner position of the lesser authorities. This is what's needed. The lesser governments are so important, and Westminster is trying to remove them to diminish their authority and power. To make them mere conduits of prov- or provinces of their evil designs. To make them mere implementation centers of unjust and immoral law, policy, and court opinion. And you must rally to your lesser authorities and demand that they do right. In closing, I just want to say this. How do we reform the church? People ask me that all the time. Pastor Matt, how do we reform the church? And they ask me that because they see how bad... Christianity is in America and throughout the West. And I always answer the same way. I say, by the judgment of God. Same five words, by the judgment of God. Understand we live in the midst of a Christianity that's incapable of reforming itself. Christ will reform his bride. He will purify it. And if we will not do so willingly, he uses judgment, the tyrants, famine, the weather, in order to bring repentance to men. And his judgment is a goodness, and it's a mercy upon us. The scripture reads that judgment begins in the house of the Lord, amen? His foremost interest in bringing his judgment upon the West is us, his bride, his people. We must repent We must call the church to repentance. We must call the nation to repentance. It's massively important that we do so. Remember when Josiah found the law of God? He tore his clothes and he wept. I don't know about you. I've wept more for my nation in the last three years than I did in the 30 years prior to that. Jeremiah preached judgment for 40 years. He knew what was coming, but yet when it came, he ended up writing the book of Lamentations. True reform, true reformation, begins by honoring the law of God. May we do right by Christ, and may we honor his law. May Christ be praised. Amen. Thank you so much.